The Mystical Underground and Rob McGregor present an audio production of Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. Istanbul. You must find the shepherd to guide you to the staff. Look for it in Istanbul in the Sultan's palace. Find the curator and ask for directions to the shepherd's chamber. Keep in mind that the chamber is under pressure. From Charles Kingston's notes. 15. The Sultan's Ball. By the time they arrived at the Sultan's palace, everything had been arranged. Thanks to Marcus Brody, Indy would gain access to the off-limits area of the sprawling palace. Once the home of Istanbul's royal family, it was now an historical site and museum. Brody, good friends of the curator of the palace, had wired ahead to make the necessary arrangements, but as in many international dealings involving museums, there was a formality to follow. Indy and Maggie had been invited to the Sultan's Ball at the palace. These grand social events provided Turkey's leaders an opportunity to impress and curry favors. Indy was aware of the entire scenario, so he and Maggie had upgraded their wardrobes for the evening soiree. Indy wore a white dinner jacket with black bow tie and black formal pants. Maggie's emerald gold evening gown featured a silver and gold metallic bodice with dramatic puff sleeves a bare back. The ankle-length velvet skirt included silver and gold lame panels. Indy had stared at the ample price tag as the French saleswoman had described it in detail. She touched Indy's arm and whispered, Your lady will look absolutely stunning and very sexy too. And indeed she did, he thought, watching as they stepped from a 1925 Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine and entered the front gate of the palace. They were ushered along a plush red carpet into a magnificent hall with ornate gold trim, portraits of Turkey's grand past and ancient statuary. They moved into the marble-floored ballroom, binkling with guests, and quickly realized they were attending the social event of the year. Dignitaries from more than two dozen countries were in attendance. Indy inquired about the museum curator, Mustafa Gazak, but none of the Turks he spoke to seemed to know his whereabouts. That was odd, Indy thought, since Gazak was very interested in meeting Indy and Maggie at the ball. He and Maggie moved to the dance floor. As they waltzed about the room, Indy realized he should be looking for Gazak rather than dancing. Kingston's notes had led him to the palace and had indicated with a certainty that the museum director could point him to the shepherd's cavern, his next stop. But where was Kazak? As the waltz ended, Indy told Maggie he wanted to look around. 
it's best I do this on my own. You attract too much attention. He'd notice more than one man turning his attention towards the attractive redhead. Don't worry, I can occupy myself, she said. Indy knew that Maggie had her own agenda, and that was fine as long as they were on the same side working against the interests of the Nazi treasure hunters. He moved deeper into the palace, arrived at a large atrium with glass, dome, and a fountain in the center. Several people from the party were strolling about. Indy quickly walked over to the fountain when he spotted a couple of tall blonde men. He worked his way around the fountain until he found a good spot to observe them. They definitely looked more like Germans than Turks, and they were standing in front of oversized mahogany double doors with intricate carvings etched into the surface. Above the doors, signed in English, French, and Turkish, indicated that the doors led into the National Museum. Trouble, Indy thought, or Gestapo, he guessed. And they were guarding the entrance. No wonder he hadn't found the museum director. Time for action. He retreated from the atrium and slipped outside to the car park where he rent, his rented limousine waited. As he walked towards it, he noticed a Mercedes limousine with a triangle of swastika flags mounted on the hood. Opening the trunk, he found his luggage and slipped his Webley pocket revolver inside his coat. Then he rolled up his whip and stuck it into a leather case. He sorted through a collection of odds and ends, selected a knife and a couple of other useful tools, and dropped them into the case. At the last moment, he reached into his luggage and removed his passport and money. Best to have it with him, just in case they needed to flee. He avoided the main entrance this time and skirted along the palace until he approached a modest door near the rear of the building. He tried the handle, locked of course, and took out a wire he'd picked from his supplies and worked the lock. Half a minute later, the lock clicked open. He stepped into the darkness, listened, lit a match. He was standing inside a janitorial closet. Cautiously, he opened the door on the far side of the room. He found himself in a majestic hall that was dimly lit, and he could see that it housed an array of treasures from Turkey's glorious past. He'd like to spend some time here examining the artifacts, but it was hardly the time for that pursuit. However, he noticed a display of helmets and shields that were labeled as artifacts of Troy, and he couldn't help taking a second look. They were probably excavated in the 1870s by Heinrich Schildmann, a German entrepreneur who stole more than 9,000 gold ornaments from the Troy site. Schildmann eventually was pressured to compensate Turkey, and those artifacts were probably part of that deal. The best ones no doubt remained in Berlin with Hitler's regime and under Volner's control. The display didn't mention the controversy or the fact that Schildmann probably excavated Troy II, a city built on top of the site of the famed Troy of Homer's Iliad. Indy's ponderings were interrupted by a muffled shout. He crouched, crept forward, then heard the voice again closer this time. Light spilled from under a door. He was about to approach the door when he heard a shuffling sound and realized that a guard stood in the shadows near the door. Indy strode up to the man. What is the meaning of all this noise and rowdiness? This is a museum, not a tavern. The guard was stunned. How did you get in here, he asked, in thick German accent. I belong here. The question is, how did you get in here? 
Indy pointed at the door. You go in there right now and tell them to pipe it down. I'm doing serious research this evening. The guard hesitated, turned towards the door, and Indy cold cocked him with the butt of his gun. He hurriedly stripped off the guard's uniform, which was a size or two larger than his own apparel. He took off his white dress jacket and bow tie, rolled up the jacket and stuffed it into his carrying case. Then he quickly donned the uniform over his pants and shirt. Finally, before entering the room, he dragged the body away from the door and behind a counter. Indy slowly turned the knob on the door and peeked inside. It was a library. The walls stacked to the ceiling with books. At first glance, it appeared as if you were interrupting a formal gathering. A balding man with a thick, drooping mustache wore tails and was slumped in a straight-backed chair in the center of the room. Three men wearing dress uniforms stood nearby. Indy quickly saw that the seated man was bound to the chair. His bow tie was askew, and a thin trail of blood rolled down his chin. One of the uniforms, men, hovered over him. What are you holding back from me, he bellowed. The man in the chair raised his head as Indy walked into the room. The interrogator, a tall, broad-shouldered man with a jagged scar across his jaw, spun on his heels. The other two raised their weapons. Indy waved a hand, told the Nazis to get lost. Bis spada. Verstein Z. Do you understand? I'm taking over here. The interrogator demanded to know where Indy was from. Wurgen kumst From the Vertigong German East American chapter. Sent here by Air Professor Magnus Bowler. My English is better than yours. Now get out. But you need help. No, I'm going to use reason, not shouting and slapping. He jabbed a finger at the door. Auf Wiedersehen. I will see about this, the interrogator led his two cronies out of the library. But a moment later, he opened the door again. Who is Fuss? Indy was momentarily at a loss. Where is the wolf? Ah, Wolfgang. I sent him to the entrance with the others. As soon as the door closed, Indy locked it, then turned to the bone man. Mustafa Kazaz, I presume. He didn't answer. I'm Dr. Jones, friend of Marcus Brody. How do I know that? You're wearing one of their uniforms. In answer, Indy took out his knife and slashed the blade down the front of the uniform, snapping off the buttons. He ripped off the shirt and pants to reveal his own garb, then cut the rope that bound Kazak's wrists. Convinced? I believe so. We need to talk, Dr. Kazak. But not here. They'll be back soon. We've got to get out. Indy helped Kazak to his feet, but pounding erupted at the door. Guess we weren't fast enough. Maggie strolled through the crowd, gathering near the bar, listening to tidbits of conversation, joining in from time to time, then moving on before anyone could ask too many questions of her. To avoid raising suspicions, she stopped asking about the museum curator. It was, prob- it was apparent he wasn't here, and anyone who knew his whereabouts probably wasn't talking. She enjoyed the spectacle of the ball, but truth be told, she would rather be with deprowling the back rooms of the palace and museum, searching for the curator. Prior to their arrival at the ball, Maggie wired her latest report to her superiors and had asked for information on Mustafa Kazak. 
Earlier today, she'd received the answer she was hoping for. Kazak opposed the Nazis because they were obsessive collectors of artifacts and didn't care how they obtained them. Much like earlier collectors from the same homeland, Turkish archaeologists and antiquity protectors such as himself had never healed their differences with the Germans over the thefts of thousands of artifacts in the late 19th century. Gazak was also a mystic, fascinated by, with biblical artifacts, and that was his connection with Kingston. He could be quite contrary, their report said. Expect limited cooperation unless you can prove your worth to him. What did that mean, she wondered. A tap on her shoulder broke her train of thought. Me, I have this dance, Miss O'Malley. At first she thought it was Hindi, fanning a stiff German accent. She turned, smiling. The tall blonde man wore a black tuxedo with tails, Magnus Bowler. She covered her surprise by looking out at the dance floor. It's kind of crowded. Oh, please, I insist. What are you going to do? Step on my feet and inject poison darts from your shoes? I wouldn't think of it. I would never hurt such a beautiful and intelligent woman, but we do have some business to attend to while we dance. As he led her onto the dance floor, she scanned the crowd for Indy. No sign of him. My men are keeping Dr. Jones busy, I'm sure. Just relax. That's the best way to dance, I'm told. Her exuberance plummeted with the touch of Voller's hand on her back. The gala event was quickly descending into darkness as was their plan to meet with the museum curator. Everything was getting complicated again, and the night was just beginning. One of the Gestapo agents threw his body against the door, and the frame shuddered. He did it again and again. Indy knew the door wouldn't hold much longer. Is there any other way out of here? Yes, but I haven't used it for a long time, Kazak said. The doorframe cracked as the agent crashed into it again. I think it's time to use it. Kazak stepped over to one of the bookcases, pulled a thick book from the end of one of the shelves, and pressed a hidden button. Nothing happened. He tried again with no luck. He shook his head. That's what I was afraid would happen. Indy glanced towards the door as he heard a sharp splintering of wood. He reached over Kazak's shoulder and slammed the side of his fist against the button. The shelf groaned and slowly revolved inward. They ducked out of sight into, the, into a darkened room. As the bookcase closed behind them, the library door crashed to the floor. Feet pounded into the library, voices shouted. Books were pulled from shelves. This way, Kazak whispered. Indy lit a match and saw Kazak directing him towards a staircase. There are tunnels under the palace. We can escape. They took the stairs, then abruptly stopped. Indy lit another match. A gate with a lock blocked their way. I guess we could go back after they leave, Indy said. Kazak shook his head. No, it only opens from the library side. Oh, so we're stuck. I believe so. Unless they find the button on the bookcase. Yeah, then we're dead. They moved out onto the dance floor and Maggie asked what Voller was doing here. You get right to the point. I like that. But I thought you would ask how I got out of the jungle. I already know the answer. The pilot went back for you. It was a guess, but she'd seen it coming. The pilot, as well as Indy, had spotted the Nazis swimming ashore. Then you should know I'm here 
for the same reason as you, we are on the path of the staff of Moses. Dr. Jones is the archaeologist. I'm just a magazine photographer. He laughed, a good cover story. But how did you know to come here? We were careful to hide our identities in our travel here. I didn't need to follow you. I got all of the answers I needed from your camera. You were very thoughtful to photograph Kingston's journal. Bowler didn't miss a trick, she thought. He was intelligent and motivated, and extremely dangerous. She knew that he could kill her right on the dance floor and disappear. She wondered what was stopping him. As if reading her thoughts, he said, I need you alive so I can control Jones. He's not going to do anything to endanger your life. Don't count on it. He left me here for you to find. Decidedly a poor decision on his part. I can handle myself. You're being watched right now, by the way. At least three parties are keeping an eye on you. Voter gave her an amused look. I thought it was all just one big party. Maggie stared into the German steely, cold eyes. You won't be laughing if anything happens to me. You're bluffing, am I? He slid a hand over the back of her neck, and she felt a chill, as if his fingertips were capable of freezing whatever they touched. We intercepted your communique. We know you're on your own. It's you and Jones, and he's presently indisposed. Who knows what has happened to him by now? Oh, I think I'll go look for him. Thanks for the dance. Not so fast, Miss O'Malley. Suddenly men in dress uniforms surrounded her, leaving her nowhere to turn. Buller leaned forward, touched her shoulder, and whispered in her ear, Please go quietly. If you scream, you'll be injected with a knockout drug. She believed him. The men escorted her away. Sixteen. The last harem. The thump of books hitting the floor suggested that the Gestapo agents suspected a hidden door. Indy lit another match and examined the lock on the gate. Maybe I can get it open. He handed the matches to Kazak and reached for the wire he'd used to pick the lock on the door to the museum. Indy fumbled with the wire, struggling to find the hole in the dim, flickering light. It would be easier to use a key, Kazak replied. I'm sure it would. You got one? Wait, I remember something. Kazak struck a match, held it overhead. My eyes are not so good. Indy spotted a key hanging from a hook near the ceiling. He reached up and pulled it down. The pounding of books against the floor continued as he tried to force the key into the lock. I can't believe it. It's not the right key. Let me try. Kazak manipulated the key, and after a moment it slid into the lock. He unlocked the gate, pocketed the key. You have to know how to work Turkish locks. Very sensitive sometimes. I guess. Kazak reached through the gate and snapped the lock closed, in case they find their way here. Good idea. Indy found a lantern hanging on the wall, and as he lit it, asked Kazak about the interrogation. Did they hurt you? The curator wiped blood from his chin and touched his nose. Maybe they broke my nose. Could have been worse. Yeah, I know. Did you tell them anything? They are looking for the shepherd, same as you. Yeah, that's what Professor Kingston said we would find here at the palace. Indy held up the lantern. Can you show me where it is? 
The Germans cannot beat the location out of me, and you cannot win it on the basis of knowing my colleagues Charles Kingston and Marcus Brody. What do I need then? Indy asked as they headed down the underground corridor. You must be worthy. He'd heard that qualification more than once in his search for sacred objects, but he was never certain what it meant. How so? You must prove that you are capable of handling the shepherd. If not, it would be useless in your care. Okay, what exactly is the shepherd? It's not for me to say, it's for you to find. But I can say that the shepherd will lead you to the staff. Ah, Dr. Kazak. If you know where it is, you should tell me. We're in a dangerous situation here, as you know. It's also an important mission. I don't think either of us wants the Staff of Kings to fall into the hands of the Nazis. Of course not. If you're worthy, you'll find the shepherd. And he looked exasperated. You mean you laid out clues for me to find, like, some kind of party game? No, no. You don't understand. I place no clues. It's not like that. But the clues will appear to you, if you are aware. And that's how you will prove yourself worthy. So you don't even know where the clues are? Of course not. It's your game. I mean, your challenge. But I can suggest where you can start, since I'm leading you in that in your escape. That might help. There was no time to argue, and you thought, just get moving. Take the passage to the left, then the steps. That will take you right into the Sultan's harem. Ah, uh, his harem? Oh, you mean where it used to be? Yes, it's not widely known, but the Sultan's harem is still maintained. Out of respect and tradition, in the past the harem women were politically powerful, and the last remnants of that power has kept the tradition alive. What is the situation now? Go see for yourself. Get your eyes open and follow the lead that appears to you. Good luck. Kazak turned away. Hey, aren't you coming? I'm taking a different route. I'm not welcome in the harem. They would not appreciate my appearance. Oh, that's good to know. Indy said as Kazak disappeared around the corner. Indy climbed the steps and pushed on a trapdoor. A fountain large enough to double as a swimming pool was visible, as were several pillars. He couldn't see anyone. He climbed up into a spacious, covered courtyard illuminated by lanterns, and the light softened everything. He moved quickly to the nearest pillar. He couldn't help feeling somewhat disappointed at not discovering a harem with dozens of young women bathing and relaxing in various stages of undress served plates of fruit by ball black eunuchs. That classic image of harem life. Maybe they went to bed early. He could hear voices, laughter emanating from a dome building inside the courtyard. Or maybe it was just the bubbling of the fountain and his imagination. He moved from pillar to pillar, paused, listened again. Are you lost, sir? He turned to see a woman wearing a loose garment and holding a veil in place. Maybe so. I was looking for the shepherd's chamber. Then you're looking in the wrong place. There is no such chamber here. In spite of the covering, Indy could tell the woman was elderly, probably the queen mother of the harem. 
Do you know where I can find it? No, I don't. But maybe we can help you. Come with me. She led him across the marble-floored courtyard to a dome building. Its walls were ornately carved and the open doorway was vaguely shaped like a large person with a flowing gown. The interior, Indy could tell, once had been luxurious, but had fallen into disrepair. A dozen women were gathered here, some at a long table, others on divans. Cotton, who is this young man? Our new eunuch? A woman called out. They all looked his way and laughed. They were unveiled and thankfully fully clothed. To Indy's astonishment, without exception, they were elderly, not a young nubile concubine among them. Distracted, he couldn't help himself. Where are the eunuchs and the rest of the harem? Karen, the elderly woman who had led him here, dropped her veil. She ignored the comment. It's 1939, not 1639. The Byzantine world and the Ottoman Empire are long gone. The Sultan, Mehmet VI Vadatin, left Turkey 17 years ago. We are the last of the harem's concubines and odalisk. Of course, but I am not really here to ask about the harem. Cadden ignored his comment and continued, Your romantic lore creates a great mystery about harems with beautiful young women. But there was never more than one harem in the Ottoman Empire, only the sultans. Harems in other parts of the world were far more impressive. India's Mughal Emperor Akbar was reputed to have had 5,000 women in his harem. Sasanian kings had as many as 12,000. Thank you for the history lesson. Now I'd like to talk to someone who can tell me where I can find the shepherd's chamber. No one spoke up. As Indy waited, he noticed a large book that was open at the end of the table. At first he thought it was the Quran, but as he stepped closer he saw that it was a cookbook of Turkish recipes printed in Turkish and English. The page on the left showed a busy kitchen scene and on the right was a recipe for a salad. The salad included diced tomatoes, green peppers and onions, and cucumbers, hot green chili, parsley, vinegar, oil, and lemon. It wasn't the contents of the salad, though, that caught Indy's attention. It was the name of it, Shepherd's Salad. Indy's eyes widened. Shepherd's Salad? Kitchen? Who opened the cookbook? Indy asked. I did. He turned to see a plump elderly black man with a shaved head. I order the meals for the harem. Did the museum curator tell you I was coming? He shook his head. I never speak to him. Can you tell me where I can find the kitchen? Certainly. You can follow me. I'm going there now. My name is Veli. Indy wasn't sure that was where he should go, but he didn't think he'd find anything else here. They left the harem, moved into the palace, and followed winding corridors through the rear of the palace. When they reached the kitchen, Indy thanked the elderly eunuch and asked him if he knew where to find the shepherd's chamber. Is that what you're looking for? I thought you wanted some shepherd's salad. I'm not really hungry, Indy said. So where's the chamber? I don't know. I stay in the harem for the most part. 
It's a very large palace. Let's ask the chef, Ahmed. He goes everywhere in the palace. As he entered the kitchen, Indy smelled herb-scented, sizzling lamb, and his mouth watered at the sight of a doner kebab, a famous Turkish dish with rolled lamb on a skewer. Men in white coats moved around, busy with their tasks, ignoring him. He stopped once. Ahmed? Which one? Belly took his arm and directed him to the rear of the kitchen, where a large man with a puffy chef's hat was reeling off dinner orders. The eunuch addressed Ahmed in Turkish. Ahmed laughed as he replied. He asked if it's a trick question, Belly said. If it's a trick, the joke's on me. Maybe visiting the chef was a dead end. But where to go from here, he wondered. The chef said something else, and Veli translated again. He says to look where they don't serve food, because he's never seen such a chamber, and has taken food to most, if not all of them. The chef said something more, and again Veli translated. He suggests that you search high and low, then maybe you'll find it. That's a big help, Indy thought. Suddenly the double doors swung open and a pair of Gestapo agents with guns drawn burst into the kitchen. Indy ducked down behind a counter and reached into his case for his whip. He had no doubt they were hunting him. The metal counter had two shelves and he could see the Nazis moving in his direction on the opposite side. When they were directly across from him, Indy snapped his whip under the counter and laced it around one of the men's ankles. He pulled hard and the Nazi toppled over and was dragged halfway under the counter. His partner stopped, stunned, then realized what had happened and rushed around the end of the counter. Indy was ready for him and knocked the gun from his hand. The Nazi rushed at him. Indy punched him in the gut and then they traded blows one after another until Indy ducked a swing, twisted the man around and pushed him over his fallen colleague. As the Gestapo agent crashed to the floor, Veli slammed a pan against his head. The other Nazi tried to get up, but Indy kicked the gun from his hand. He picked up a plate and was about to slam it over the man's head when the image on the plate caught his attention. A tower. Hey, Veli, do you know this place? He held up the plate. Of course, it's the Tower of Justice. It's right next to the harem. Let's go there. The Nazi lunged for Indy but he stepped aside and cracked the plate over the man's head. I didn't want to do that, but you insisted. Indy retrieved his whip and headed for the door. This way, Vele called, and led him across the courtyard, then pointed to a tower. That's it. Good luck. Indy loped up the circular steps to the top of the tower. Suddenly, the comment from the chef made sense. Search high and low. But what was up here? Another clue? He heard a warning shout. Then a shot. He reached the top of the tower, worked his way around a huge bell, and peered out a vertical slit. Belly lay on the courtyard floor, his body illuminated by lamplight. Footsteps pounded against the stairs. And he moved around the tower until he was opposite the doorway. He flung his whip around the chain at the top of the bell. As soon as the Gestapo agent appeared, Indy leaped up and slammed his feet against the bell, hoping it would swing forward and slam into the Nazi. It barely budged, but it set the weight inside, moving, and the bell clanged loudly. Indy desperately wanted to cover his ears, but he couldn't let go. 
The agent worked his way around the bell, and he recognized him as the tall agent with the scar, the one who had interrogated Kazak. As he looked up, Indy leaped on him, knocking him to the floor. They rolled about as the bell continued clanging louder and louder as the weight moved faster and faster. The Nazi pulled Indy to his feet through a punch. The blow glanced off Indy's cheek, and now they were right under the bell. Indy returned a punch to the agent's gut, then another to his jaw. The Nazi, who stood a head taller than Indy, seemed unfazed by the blows. As if they were mere annoyances, he growled through his teeth and lunged. Indy ducked low, wrapped his arms around the agent's hips and lifted him off his feet. The bell missed a beat as the weight slammed into the Nazi's head. He slumped to the floor of the tower as Indy released him. That's for shooting belly. We never did anything to you, Indy said as he recovered his whip. He ran down the stairs and over to Veli, whose white shirt was covered with blood. Indy saw he was still breathing and cradled his head. Hang in there, Veli. No, too late. Spring, spring of life. What? Fine, spring of life. His head lulled to one side, his breathing stopped. Indy set him down. What was the spring of life? He recalled the chef's comment again as he hurried across the courtyard toward the front of the palace, searched high and low. He had gone high, now maybe he needed to look low. But before he went anywhere, he needed to find Maggie. He had a bad feeling. He doubted that she stayed at the ball. And if she hadn't, she should have caught up with him by now. Something had gone wrong, very wrong. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.